Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 as we continue our study through this wonderful New Testament book. Acts chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. The title of my sermon this morning is Effective Witnesses in a Hostile World. Effective witnesses in a hostile world. Have you noticed that our society is becoming increasingly hostile toward the God of the Bible? Have you noticed that? It's happening in an ever-increasing way. And so the question becomes, the urgent question becomes for us, how can we be effective in sharing Christ in the midst of that hostility? Well, Acts 4 gives us some insight uh, toward the answer to that question. So look there with me, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And I want to ask you uh, this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. What better way for a church to start out a new year than to diving into, digging into, the eternal riches of the Word of God. Amen? I am grateful for my Bible. Truth with no mixture of error. Grateful for the Word of God. Acts chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Notice that phrase. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter's not backing up an inch, is he? Verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. 
recognizing, Lord, our need for you. We truly believe that all is vain in this moment unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So, Lord, would you, by your Spirit, work in our midst. Take your word and and apply it to our lives that we might be changed. Father, I pray that you would use this sermon to raise up gospel warriors here at Longview Point Baptist Church. That we might go out into this community and into this world with the glorious good news that Jesus saves and see lives changed. So God, use this sermon in that specific way. Lord, may we leave this place different than when we came. May the name of Jesus be exalted and magnified because it's all about Him. And Lord, we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. To kind of catch you up with uh, the book of Acts that we've been studying for the last few months, uh, we see in Acts that God birthed the New Testament church there in Jerusalem. They were having great impact. In Acts chapter 2, we saw that there were uh, 3,000 people saved after Peter preached a sermon on the day of Pentecost. And then in Acts chapter 3, Peter... God uses Peter to, to heal a man. He heals a man through Peter. And when this man gets healed, it gets people's attention. And the, the man who had been lame since birth is walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. And a crowd begins to gather because they're saying, this is the man that was lame, laying by the gate, begging for alms. And now he's leaping about and he's praising God. So as the crowd gathers, the, the curious gather. Peter thinks this is a great time to preach a sermon. So he preaches a sermon there in Acts chapter 3, and people get saved. As a matter of fact, look what it says in verse 4. Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So they went from 3,000 to 5,000 in size. With just just one sermon, they went from 3 to 5. 2,000 people saved. And so people are getting saved, lives are getting changed, people are following Christ, and the religious leaders get mad. Did you notice where it said these religious leaders were greatly annoyed? And we're going to see them become hostile here in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and the following chapters. Persecution begins with the healing of this man and the crowd that gathered and the folks that were saved. Now, these religious leaders who were greatly annoyed and took steps to silence the preaching of Jesus remind us of the culture that we live in today. Our society, again, is becoming increasingly hostile to the gospel. So, what are we supposed to do? If the culture is getting more hostile to the sharing of Jesus Christ, then how should we respond? Should we stay silent? The answer is no. We would be disobeying the Bible. We are called to be witnesses for Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Should we change the message to make it more palatable? The answer is no. Paul said in Galatians 1, if anyone preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. That's pretty serious language, right? So we can't be silent, and, and we can't 
change the message. What are we supposed to do in the midst of a hostile culture? We are called to be compelling witnesses of Christ to a lost and dying world. And what I want to do this morning is I want to show you the requirements to be an effective witness for Christ. Because some of you out there are saying, can I really be a witness for Christ? Can God really use my life to share good news with people that are lost and need to be saved? Can, can God use me, or is this just things that preachers should be doing and missionaries should be doing? What are the requirements to be an effective witness for Christ? Let me give you the things that aren't requirements, first of all. Number one, Higher education is not a requirement. Did you notice what he says there in verse 13? What the Bible says in verse 13? When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, uneducated men. These were fishermen, professional fishermen. They were blue-collar workers. And the religious leaders are saying, how can these folks speak with such power? They've never been to seminary. And what's going on here? We learn from this that education is not a a prerequisite to be an effective witness for Christ. As a matter of fact, some of the greatest witnesses for Christ in human history have been uneducated men and women who knew the one true God and loved the one true God and were not ashamed to speak of the one true God. So education is not a, a prerequisite, a requirement to be an effective witness. Also, social status is not a requirement to be an effective witness. Look what they say there, verse 13. They, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. Common men. Ordinary men. The word here speaks of, of them being laymen. They weren't, they weren't professional religious folks. They were, they were laymen. They were ordinary. They were common They weren't noble, and yet God is using them in remarkable ways. And so higher education, not a requirement to be an effective witness for Christ. Social status, not a requirement to be an effective witness for Christ. So what are the requirements to bear witness to the saving work of Jesus? Well, let me give them to you here. Number one, know the gospel and stay on message. Know the gospel and stay on message. Look what the Bible says there in verse 1. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they were annoyed by their message. They were preaching about Jesus, that if you know Jesus, one day you'll be resurrected from the dead and will be granted eternal life in heaven. They were preaching this message of eternal life that's found only in Christ. And as they were preaching this good news to the people, the religious leaders were greatly annoyed. So they knew the gospel, they knew the message, And they did not back away. So let's talk about that for a moment. First of all, know the gospel. What is the gospel message? The the word gospel, euangelion, means good news. So what is the good news that is the 
the, the central message of the church and should be the central message of every Christian's life. Here it is, number, number one, Jesus died for our sins. Isn't that simple? Jesus died for our sins. Look what they say in verse 10. He says, Peter preaching here, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. So he speaks here of the death of Jesus Christ. And the death of Jesus is a central theme throughout all of the New Testament and the Old Testament because the death of Jesus was the act that provides redemption and forgiveness and salvation for you and for me. Paul said it like this over in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, Christ died for our sins. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there is no good news apart from the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The cross is very good news because on the cross, Jesus took all of our sins on himself and Jesus paid the penalty that you and I deserve to pay. So what's the gospel? Jesus died for our sins. Amen? Y'all need to wake up. It's 2015, New Year. (laughs) Second part of the gospel. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Look what it says in verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith because if Christ had not been raised from the dead, we would still be in our sins. See, the resurrection indicates that Jesus was who he said he was, God on earth. And it indicates that Jesus could do what he said he could do. That is, give us eternal life. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he defeated death itself. And because he defeated death itself, he can give us life beyond the grave that never ends in that wonderful place called heaven. Aren't you glad he's alive? And the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins and Jesus rose from the dead. Are you with me? But there's a third aspect here we need to see. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Look what he says. He says that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Is the power of Jesus that healed this man is what he's saying. This Jesus is the stone... That was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And so Jesus Christ is the Old Testament reference. Jesus Christ becomes a cornerstone you build your life upon or becomes a stumbling block that will destroy you if you don't receive him as Savior because one day he will judge you. And he says in verse 12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So based upon what he just said, listen to me, the teachings of Muhammad do not save. The teachings of Buddha do not save. 
The teachings of Krishna do not save. The teachings of Joseph Smith do not save. There's only one Savior. There's only one name that saves under heaven. It is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, period. There is no other way to be saved. No other way. One way. Now, some say this. Well, Jesus is a way to be saved. Listen to me. Jesus is not a way to be saved. He is the way to be saved. He's not a good way to be saved. He is the only way to be saved. And I cannot, I cannot wrap my mind around the fact that there are well-known preachers of the gospel who get on TV and cannot say that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Because the Bible is so clear. Jesus said it like this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, listen, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way to be saved. And Peter teaches that here. So what's the gospel? Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. He's the only way to be saved. You either choose Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you will stand before God and be judged for your sins, and you will spend eternity in hell. But listen to me. Not only do we need to know the gospel, we've got to stay on message. Because a hostile culture, listen to me, is attempting to intimidate us into silence. They want us just to be quiet. Listen, they're fine as long as we'll just gather together in our little in our in our in our buildings and do our thing and talk about Jesus. They're fine with that. But when you get out into the world and start speaking of the only way of salvation found through Jesus Christ, people will get upset. And they will try to shout you down so that you do not talk about Jesus. So we got to know the gospel, first of all, and we've got to stay on message. You see, you and I should not back away from the truth because it's the world's only hope. Some would say, well, to say that Jesus Christ is the exclusive way of salvation is not a very loving thing to say. I would say the exact opposite. How unloving would it be of us Not to tell people the truth. To try to assuage their conscience and make them feel better about themselves while they are headed for eternity in hell. That's not loving. Let me illustrate it like this. Let's just say that that we discovered the cure for all cancer. You just take this, this medicine and cancer is cured. If we had that cure, would you keep silent about it? Even if people came along and said, you're narrow-minded. That's, to say that's the, that's the, that's the, the cure for you, that's narrow-minded. Would you, no, you wouldn't say silent. you say, no, this is the cure. I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. I don't care what anybody says, because it's the truth. The most loving thing that you and I can do is share the truth of the gospel with a lost and dying world. And not to do that is very unloving. It's not narrow-minded. It's not not, um, mean. It's loving to share with people the truth. Because the truth will save their souls. Right? 
So we can't back away from the message. So number one, what are the requirements? You've got to know the gospel and stay on message. Here's the second requirement. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Look what it says there in verse 8. They bring them in before the council of religious leaders. And by the way, the names listed there are some of the same names that were there for the trial of Jesus. So they're gathering together and they're in this intimidating environment. And they want to silence the preaching of the gospel. And look what it says in verse 8. When they ask the question, what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, listen, filled with the Spirit said to them. And he preaches this great message. I would submit to you that the reason Peter preached such a powerful, clear, bold message is because he was filled with the Spirit. Now you say, wait, why do we need to be filled with the Spirit? Why should we ask the Holy Spirit of God to take control of our lives every day? Why do we need to be filled with the Spirit? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit gives us the words to say. The Holy Spirit gives us the words to say. Look what it says over in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 says Jesus giving his disciples instructions as he sends them out on a missionary journey. What it says in Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So why should we be filled with the Spirit every day? Because if you are filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you the words you need to say. One of the major hindrances to Christians witnessing is fear. Because Christians think, well, if I... If I engage someone in a spiritual conversation, they'll ask me a question I don't know the answer to. Or, or they'll bring up something I can't, I can't explain. And, 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 and the fear keeps many Christians silent. Listen to me. If you are filled with the Spirit, He'll give you the words to say. It's what the Bible says, right? So Peter knew what to say because he was filled with the Spirit. Also, we need to be filled with the Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives us boldness. Turn back to Acts chapter 4. It says, he was filled with the Spirit, and then in verse 13 it says, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Then look what it says down in verse 18 of the same passage, Acts chapter 4. It says, they called them after the trial, after the, the inquisition, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus Christ. So here's the conclusion of the religious leaders. Okay, listen, we heard what you had to say. No more talking about Jesus. Now look how Peter answers. Peter and John answered them, 
whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's bold, isn't it? The religious leaders say, stop talking about Jesus. Peter says, sorry, can't do that. Can't do that. Sorry. And look what it says down in Acts uh, 4, verse 29. We're going to get to this later on, this passage. But, but they're praying together when they're released. The church comes together and says, okay, persecution's coming. Let's pray. Verse 29, they pray. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Watch this. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone see that? Filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with what? Boldness. There's a direct correlation between the power of the Spirit in your life and boldness for proclaiming the truth. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness. So what do I need, Wade, to be, to be a, an effective witness for Christ? Do I need a seminary degree? No. Do I need to be on a church staff? No. Do I need to be a missionary? No. You need to know the gospel and stick to it. And you need the Spirit of God to fill up your life. And every Christian can experience that. I read a story about Peter Cartwright. He was a great circuit-riding Methodist preacher. And he lived in Illinois because he was run out of Tennessee because he took such a strong stand against slavery. And in Illinois, he was riding the circuit, preaching at different churches, and he came to one particular church on a Sunday, and he was scheduled to preach. And the deacons came to him before the service, and they said, uh, Pastor, President Andrew Jackson is attending our church today. And they knew that, that, that Peter Cartwright was very bold in his speech and, 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 and could be kind of in your face. They were trying to kind of, you know, kind of say, okay, listen, we got a dignitary here. Be careful w- with what you say. He, he knew that, they knew that Cartwright could offend with his preaching. Peter Cartwright stood up to preach and said this. I understand President Andrew Jackson is here. I've been requested to be guarded in my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. (laughs) Those were his words. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. The audience was shocked. (gasps) But after the service, President Andrew Jackson came up to him. And he said, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. See, that's the kind of boldness we need, isn't it? Boldness to stand by the truth because the truth sets people free. And if we water down the truth and we are intimidated into silence, we're not helping anybody. We need Holy Spirit boldness and clarity of speech. There's the third thing I want to show you. What I need to be to be an effective witness for Christ, spend time with Jesus Spend time with Jesus. Look what it says back in Acts 4, verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
I love that phrase. See, Peter and John bore a resemblance to their master that was unmistakable. These are the Christ followers. These are the the men that spent three years with him. Their resemblance to Jesus was unmistakable. R. Kent Hughes says this, When they talked, they were so much like Jesus that the presence of Christ right then and there could not be denied. Peter and John's companionship with Jesus had transformed them. And the religious leaders saw that. These men are common, they're they're ordinary, they're uneducated, but they're so much like Christ. You see, the more time that we spend with Jesus, the more our lives will reflect Him. I don't mean to sound mystical here, but you can just tell when someone spends a lot of time with Jesus. It just, Christ is just reflected from their life. You can tell someone that is on intimate speaking terms with the Savior. You can tell someone that spends time seeking the face of God. You just see it in their life. And the more time that you and I spend with Jesus on our knees, in the Word, in His presence, walking, talking with Him, worshiping Him, seeking His face, following Him, the more that happens, the more a lost and dying world will see the Jesus in us. Which is what they need. They don't, they, listen, our world doesn't need Wade. Our world needs Jesus, Right? So here, here's the admonition. Let others see Jesus in you. Remember that old hymn? Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. How can I let others see Jesus in me? Spend time with Him. Have you ever noticed as you get older that you act like your parents? Have you ever noticed that? I remember one... One day I was out and about and I made a mistake, which I ought never do. I went shopping without Claire. I needed a few golf shirts and I went, I got some golf shirts and I brought them back. And Claire said, okay, those are nice. And, 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 and shortly thereafter, we went to Florida to visit our family and I walked in my dad's closet. He had the same exact shirts hanging in his closet. And I had this moment of clarity. I'm turning into Buddy Humphreys. And there are times Claire will say, you look just like your dad. Or my boys will say, you sound just like grandbuddy. I'm turning into Buddy Humphreys. You know why? Because I spent a lot of time with my dad growing up. And he inevitably shaped the way I talk, the way I think, my expressions, my emotions, my attitude. I'm, I'm just like my dad because I spent so much time with my dad. What if we spent a lot of time with our Savior? Do you think it would make a difference in our speech? Our attitude, our our emotions, our response to hardship, the way we treat people. If we will spend more time with Jesus, we will become more like Jesus. And that's good because our world needs Jesus. There's one final thing I want to share with you. Wait, how can I be an effective witness? Know the gospel and stay on message. Be filled with the Spirit, spend time with Jesus, and number four, point to changed lives. 
point to change lives. Look what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. I love this. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Notice that word, well. It's almost like Peter saying, what are we talking about here? A man whose life was changed? Are we arguing over this man's life who was lame from birth, begging for alms, and now he's leaping about and praising God? Are you really troubled about this changed life? Peter just says, hey, are we, are, you, are we arguing about a good deed done to this man? And, and look what it says down in verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I love that. We'd love to argue with you, but that man who was lame since birth is standing up. Argument over. When they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. Notice that. We cannot deny this man's life has been changed. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And then it says in verse 21, when they had further threatened them and let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So the Bible says consistently, people saw the changed life. The changed life was unmistakable, and they could not argue with that. Can I tell you how to be an effective witness in a hostile world? Keep pointing people to lives that have been changed by Jesus. You see, people can't argue with changed lives. Verse 14, it says, they had nothing to say in opposition. People cannot argue with changed lives. When we highlight transformed people, we are glorifying the one who transforms. People can argue with you about points of theology and your belief system and what they believe, they can argue with that. But they can't argue with someone whose life has been transformed. Someone who was sinner, lost, headed for hell. Who was snatched by the fire, by the gracious hand of Jesus. And their life turned. And now... They're full of grace and truth and love and kindness because of the work of Jesus in their life. People cannot argue with the changed life. They can, listen, they can't argue with your changed life. That's why personal testimony is so important. Share what Christ has done for you. And then point at other folks you know. Hey, Jesus changed him. Jesus changed her. Jesus changed me. Jesus changed this family. Jesus changed this community. Jesus is in the life-changing business, and people can't argue with that. And so... Point to change lives. It is an effective witnessing tool. 
is to show people the reality of, of Christ's saving work in our world. I read a remarkable book several years ago titled Unbroken. The story of Louis Zamperini, Olympic athlete, shot down in World War II. He was a Japanese POW. And it was one of those books I just couldn't put down. And I thought as I read the book, this would be a great movie. Well, the movie was just released a couple of weeks ago. I haven't seen the movie yet. But in the book, the story is told of Louis Zamperini returning from life as a Japanese POW, returning back to life in the United States. Got married, had a family. But because of the the traumatic stress, the post-traumatic stress of his ordeal because of his hatred toward the Japanese, his life began to spin out of control. He began to drink and abuse alcohol and, and was not taking care of his responsibilities and his marriage was on the rocks about to end. And his wife went to a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles. When she went to that crusade, she met Jesus Christ. She was saved. She came back home and said to her husband, Louis Zamperini, will you come with me to this crusade? And he reluctantly agreed. He heard the gospel from Billy Graham, and Louis Zamperini got saved. And his life radically changed. His marriage was saved. He stopped drinking. He dealt with his hatred. As a matter of fact, he went to Japan on a forgiveness tour to say to his captors, I forgive you. That's a work of God's grace. His life was radically changed. And and up until his death, which is just recently, Louis Zamperini was a, a bold, consistent witness for Jesus Christ. Now here's what's interesting. I read in the Wall Street Journal that in the movie, they don't share any of that. No Billy Graham crusade, no life-changing salvation. That that part's not in the movie. Why? Why would they leave that out? Because the world knows what we need to know. You can't argue with a changed life. And if they put that in the movie, if they put that in the movie... They are bearing witness to the saving power of Christ. Right? If Hollywood knows it, we need to know it. And we need to point people to change lives. Because you can't argue with that. So here's the point. Wait, what, what's the point of all this? And by the way, if you'll get this, listen, if you'll get this at the beginning of 2015, this will be the most impactful year of your life. You ready? Don't be intimidated into silence. Walk with Christ and share Christ in the power of the Spirit. Let me say it again. Don't be intimidated into silence. Walk with Christ and share Christ in the power of the Spirit. God will use your plain, ordinary, common life, just like my plain, ordinary, common life, to change the world. Isn't that exciting? 
Let's be effective witnesses in a hostile world.